Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. During World War II, shipbuilding was big business along the West Coast. And here in the Bay Area, thousands worked at Alameda Works Shipyard. Ships which carried America to victory. This week's question asker, Kim Kay, lives in Alameda, not far from that old shipyard. I work at a trucking company, and I do accounts receivable. A while back, she heard this story from a friend, a tale about a handful of small homes tucked away on a little street called Triglone Court. I had heard that the houses on that street were built for small people during World War II for shipbuilding. Rumor has it Alameda Works Shipyard employed little people, and these small houses were where they lived. Kim and her friend went to check them out. You know, when you first look at them, you wouldn't really notice that they were small. But if you were to walk up to the front door, you would really realize that they are quite small. (laughs) Kim was intrigued, though she had her doubts about the story. So she came to Bay Curious. I'm Olivia Allen Price. This is Bay Curious, the podcast where we answer your questions about the Bay Area. This week, we tackle a few Bay Area urban legends, starting with the tiny homes of Triglone Court. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. We sent KQED's Chloe Veltman to look into the small houses on Triglone Court for us. Hey, Chloe. Hi there, Olivia. Yeah, it turns out Kim isn't the only person who'd heard this rumor about the little people houses on Triglone Court. I found mentions about it um, on Facebook and quite a few Alameda locals I spoke with have heard this story. So they're like miniature homes? Eh, not exactly, but I do get why some people might see them that way. Triglone Court is lined with fruit trees and babbling water fountains and the houses in question are super cute. They're made of wood and they look smaller in scale, especially if you compare them to those grand Victorian homes that you can also find on the same street. They have all these period details and these neat, well-groomed little yards. You know, there's totally this Middle Earth quality to them, which may explain why they're associated with little people and the like. Okay, but this rumour, is it true? 
it seems there's absolutely no validity to this story whatsoever. At least that's what I got from every person I spoke with, which included people in the Alameda planning department, neighbours and a bunch of local historians like Woody Miner. Now, I've never come across a shred of hard evidence supporting the story. So it's just one of those urban legends. Yeah, And the timing doesn't even match up, really. I went to Alameda City Hall to take a look at the old building permit records with the help of Alan Tye, who works for the city's planning department. The records show the homes in question were built some years before the Second World War in the mid-1930s. And they're small, but they're not that small. So we're not talking like the tiny homes that are very popular today or anything? No, they're around 1,000 square feet in size with two or three bedrooms. They were originally larger lots that were divided up to get more bang for the buck. Historian Woody Miner puts it in context of the real estate boom that started in the late 1800s. A lot of the old historic old rush era farms uh, in the east end of Alameda began to be subdivided and developed with housing at this time. It seems so odd that a myth like this would spread since the houses aren't even really all that small. Were there even little people working at the shipyards? Not that the historians I spoke with have ever heard of. Did you get to see inside any of the homes? I tried to get inside, and at first I couldn't understand why I was having such a hard time tracking down any residents of these small homes on Treglone who would actually speak with me. So I eventually went over there and put hand-delivered letters in their mailboxes, and I didn't hear a thing for weeks, just crickets. Then one day I got a long email from one homeowner asking me if I'd consider dropping the story. Oh, why? Basically, he's sick of being harassed by what he and his family called hobbit hunters. Um, He asked me not to mention his name in my story, but he did eventually give me permission to share lines from his email in which he says things like, quote, A couple of times we have actually been sitting eating dinner when people will come right up in our yard to our dining room window and take pictures of us and the inside of our house. Oh, wow. That's so invasive. Yeah. Um, You know, though, maybe I'll drop by an open house the next time one of them is up for sale. I'm not expecting anything too small, though. The guy who wrote to me mentioned that he's six foot three inches tall and the home he lives in on Triglone Court suits him just fine. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to leave it there. Chloe Veltman, thank you so much for looking into this for us. Real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Chloe's story got us thinking about other questions we've received from listeners about myths. So reporter Ryan Levy is here with a few bonus questions about Bay Area urban legends. That's right. And the first one comes to us from one of the world's most esteemed centers of learning, Stanford University. That's where Eyal Sedone is getting his Ph.D. in electrical engineering. I was walking with my girlfriend and she told me that apparently the black squirrels in Stanford are actually a Stanford genetic experiment gun amok and that they don't exist anywhere outside of Stanford. I've seen those black squirrels, and I think I definitely did a double take the first time I saw one. Me too. And so I called up Cheryl Green. She's a veterinarian and a professor at Stanford School of Medicine. And she says they get calls all the time about this myth. But it's just not true. The truth really is that the black squirrel is a squirrel that is produced when these eastern gray squirrels who carry a normal gene mutation mate, and their offspring grow a black coat. So we can think of the black squirrels kind of like the redheads of the squirrel world. 
if both parents have the Blackford gene, they can pass it on to their little ones. Exactly. And they're not just in Palo Alto or even just in California. Green says they've been seen on the East Coast since the 1700s, and they didn't show up out here until the turn of the 20th century. Okay, but that doesn't really explain why there are so many of them on Stanford's campus. Right. And so I asked Cheryl Green about this, and she said there's no hard scientific evidence or data about why there are so many out here. But anecdotally, it seems like the black fur could be an evolutionary advantage. Uh, It helps them stay warmer. Um, Some folks have said that the black squirrels are more aggressive and they have fewer predators than their non-black brethren. And also, it seems like the black fur might stand out a little better against our gray streets, meaning that the black squirrels are less likely to show up as roadkill. Oh, that's dark. Yeah, it is. Um, But I took the answer back to our question asker, Eyal, and he said in this case, he actually kind of likes the fiction a bit more than the fact. I think I will stick with the urban legend one. It's a bit better. (laughs) Even though you know the real answer, you're going to stick with the urban legend? It's a good story, you know? Why ruin a good story? All right, Ryan, what else do you have for us? Our next question comes from listener Zachary Nemirovsky. He's a sophomore at Design Tech High School in Redwood City. My question was, is it actually illegal to eat an orange while taking a bath in California? Oh yeah, crazy old laws. There are dozens of weird ones on the books. Yep, and websites like BuzzFeed just love to make lists about them, and people eat them up. A lot of them made sense at some point in time, but they just don't anymore. Like, speaking of squirrels, in San Francisco, it's currently illegal to import or sell ground squirrels. Really? Yeah, it's in the health code. I looked it up. And it sounds crazy now, but it dates back to the early 1900s, when squirrels in other parts of California were found with the bubonic plague. So there has to be some logic to this orange in a bathtub law. Well, Zachary had one idea. In my head, I sort of like convinced myself, oh my gosh, you know, maybe the citric acid in the orange could like do damage to you if it did something. I don't really know. I kind of like convinced myself that maybe the orange could be like lethal if you ate it in a bathtub, which I guess really doesn't make sense now. No, Zachary, it doesn't make sense. And that might be because the law isn't real. The word orange does appear in California's legal codes 372 times, but not once does it have anything to do with a bathtub. Womp womp. Thankfully, Zachary at least is planning on batting down this myth if he hears it bandied about. Oh, it's it's definitely going in my arsenal. I'm definitely going to have this in the back of my head ready to jump. Well, Ryan Levy, thanks for tracking down these answers. Anytime. Big thank you as well to reporter Chloe Veltman and our question askers, Kim K, A.L. Sedone, and Zachary Nemirovsky. If you're looking for more Big Curious in your life, sign up for our monthly newsletter. It has the answers to questions you won't find from us anywhere else. We just got it going. I'm really excited about it. Sign up at baycurious.org slash newsletter. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's Trivia Game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing... 
please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.